starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie. Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV. Do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Hello again to everybody. Welcome back to part two of episode six, which is titled, But Ma, That's My Favorite Socially Conscious Movie. Now, if you listen to part one, you know what you're getting into for part two, okay? Socially conscious movies, once again, it's an awareness of social issues. And on this part of the episode, we're actually going to get into the themes of racism and unjust. And the movie that we're going to be talking about today, I feel like it perfect, perfectly represents that. Um, especially hitting close to home, if not already in the door, to the current issues that we've dealt with. Um, to the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, last year Elijah McClain, um, Freddie Gray, Philando Castell, Sandra Bland, um, Ahmed Aubrey. The so many uh, black lives that have been taken away due to this selfish racial hatred. Um, whether it being by a policeman or by by um, some, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out what's a nice way of saying this. Um, because, you know, realistically, we know black people aren't only killed by police. They are killed by their own, I don't want to say peers, but they're killed by people on the same level as them as well. And there's some... Uh, there's some people out there that have hatred, that hate black people and want to exterminate them. And and this and this movie was a good representation of just ignorance all the way around. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to get right into it, okay? Alright, so I'm going to go ahead and play a little clip right now. Because this quote that I want to do for this movie... I, I ain't gonna do it justice, so. Light, camera, action. Yo, hold up, time out, time out. Y'all take a chill. You need to cool that shit out. And that's the double truth. All right, so that is Mr. Senior Love Daddy, the radio jockey from Do the Right Thing that was played by the wonderful, talented Samuel L. Jackson, okay? This movie was released July 21st, 1989, and God dog it, I did not even realize that this is another July movie that the anniversary is going to be coming up in about three weeks, and I'm gonna do a little quick math, cause you know I can't, I can't, I can't do mental math, y'all. It's coming up on its 31st anniversary. Ain't that crazy? And there's a lot of 
eerie similarities with this movie and the current events. And we're about to just really get into some stuff. But first, let's go ahead and let's get into this cast and the director real quick. So, the director of this movie is the Spike Lee. He made Crooklyn, Clockers, Jungle Fever, uh, the newly released movie, The Five Bloods, that was released on Netflix. Um, he has done so, so, so many movies. Malcolm X. Um, he definitely has quite a resume. And he has always been speaking about social issues. Mind you, Do the Right Thing came out in 89. And we're still dealing with these type of issues today, which is absolutely insane. Um, but yes, the wonderful Spike Lee, he's just, he's directed a lot of good things. I suggest that you check out his movies. Then the cast that we got here, some of the cast members, we have Danny Aiello. Um, I've never personally seen him in any other films, but one that is possibly notable is Moonstruck. And I do know Cher is in that movie as well. Then we have Aussie Davis. Uh, he was in Bubba Hot Tip, The Client, Ruby D, who was his wife. She played in Jungle Fever and was also in Raising the Sun. The play, she was in the play and she was in the movie version because the play did so good, they had to create a movie out of it. Um, then they have Richard Edson. Um, he played in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, he played a Mario Brothers. Not sure how good that movie did. Uh, we have Bill Nunn, who played in Regarding Harry in Spider-Man 1 and 3. John Totoro, he played in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He was also in Spike Lee's Jungle Fever as well. Uh, we have Frankie Faison, who played in White Chicks. He also played in Coming to America. Uh, Robin Harris, he played in House Party, which was in... Um, I, talked about him I think I talked about him yeah I definitely talked about him in the house party episode um he also was in Bebe Ki Bebe's Kids which he didn't actually finish that film because I think he died while they were doing it and they had to have another actor replace him which sounded exactly like him and that movie is based off one of his comedy skits that's super funny and then we have uh Giancarlo Esposito uh, he played in The Usual Suspects and Breaking Bad, and he's actually on the show Dear White People that's on Netflix. Uh, we have Miguel Sandova. Uh, he played in Jurassic Park. Uh, we have Joey Lee, who is Spike Lee's sister. She plays in basically most of his movies. Uh, she played in Crooklyn, of course, this one, and um, she's also on his TV show that he made about one of his, one of his movies. Uh, and she's got to have it. Um, then we have Martin Lawrence, who we talked about him from episode two as well. And he was also in episode three, which was But Mods, my favorite black movie, episode three. And then episode two, But Mods, my favorite house party. Or that's my favorite party movie. And uh, then Line Between Love and Hate, Bad Boy, so on and so forth. He has quite a resume uh, for himself as well. And he's my favorite comedian all right so let's go ahead and get into the summary of the movie on the hottest day of the year racial tensions begin to rise in this bedside neighborhood that mookie who is the main character played by spike lee um 
the neighborhood he lives in and also works in. Now, Mookie works at a Sal's famous pizzeria, which is owned by Sal, and he has two sons working for him. Well, his two sons who are working for him, who are Vito and Pino. Now, most of the customers that come into this restaurant are black. So, Vito, he he he's kind of, like, indifferent to it. He doesn't really have, like, an issue with it as much. But Pino, um, he definitely does. And then we have Sal, the father, the owner, who is super sweet to his customers. Um, he even gives this character in the film called The Mayor money for doing odd tasks around the restaurant. And he's also super sweet on Mookie's sister. I think he kind of has a crush on her. Her name is Jade. Um, and Mookie's sister is played by Spike Lee's sister. So they're playing brother and sister in the movie. So the the whole concept of the movie is just racial. It's racial tension. And it's everyone's perspective about each other. Actually, it's more than the perspective. It's everybody's ignorance about each other because the neighborhood is very diverse. But at the same time, everybody is ignorant to the next race. And everyone pretty much, I mean, they're like cordial to a certain extent, but at the same time, they disrespect each other. Everyone disrespects each other. Um, and it's it's a it's a good neighborhood if you're on the right side of it if that makes sense but what i'm really going to get into is the ending of this film because this is this is the most important part of the of the movie this is where the real message is okay so okay so on this particular day Okay, we have the character bugged out who goes to South Pizzeria to, of course, get him a slice of pizza. And as he sits down to eat his pizza, he looks up at the wall and all he sees is Italians. And he presents an idea to Sal to say, hey, you know, you should have some black people on this wall. And Sal immediately rejects the idea and in the process of rejecting him, he insults Bugged Out. Now, I want to uh, notate this real quick. When I first saw this movie, I was looking at it through a completely different lens. And to be honest, the recent events, the protests, everything that's going on has really woken me up. And I'm going to be honest about that. It really kind of takes catalyzing type of situations to sometimes wake you up out of your slumber because I kind of saw Sal as in as a the nice person the good guy and I looked past everything he said how disrespectful he was and maybe it had to do because he was the Italian guy maybe because he chose when he wanted to be sweet to people but we end up he ends up revealing his true colors but um I'm gonna talk about that a little later so Bugged out, he's not really rude about it. He kind of just says, hey, you know, you should put some black people on the wall. And, you know, when Sal rejects the idea, he basically says, you know, you get your own business and you can put however many black people you want up there. But in my restaurant, we're only going to put American Italians. And he also is very disrespectful in his response and say, be like, okay, well, I appreciate that feedback. You know, I'll look into it. Because at the end of the day, he is a customer. Not saying the customer's always right, because they're not. 
But if they're not disrespectful to you, you shouldn't be disrespectful to them. But anyways, so then as Bugged Out proceeds to kind of, you know, explain to him that you're the the majority of your customers are black people. So I think we deserve some representation on this wall since we put money into this place. We're the reason why this place is continuing to thrive and to be into businesses because you're getting black dollars. But this actually upsets Sal and he begins to threaten Bugged Out. Like he gets a bat and he's like, you know, what if I bust you upside your head and his son Vito, which is the one that really doesn't care for the black customers, he even tells his dad, like he grabs a bat from him, like, okay, you're doing too much. And then he, once he realizes, I guess he can't do nothing to Bugged Out, he decides he wants him to be kicked out. He's like, okay, get him out. You know, Mookie, get him out of my restaurant. Get him out. I don't want him in here. And that really turns Bugged Out, bugged out off because he's just like, all I did was recommend that you put people on the wall. And actually, I just realized something. This isn't towards the end of the movie. This is towards like, um, is it that? I guess it's towards like the middle of the movie where this happens. But this is what's going to cause the ending of the movie. Okay, so he tells Bugged Out, you know, get out, like go. And when he does that, you know, Bugged Out, he feels disrespected because he's like, all I did was suggest black people on your wall and you're going to kick me out. And I just paid for a slice of pizza. So then Bugged Out his mission becomes to recruit people to boycott Sal's. He instantly is like, you know, let's boycott Sal because we should demand that he puts black representation on the wall. And not only that, but I think it's just the way he rejected the idea that didn't sit out, sit right with Bugged Out, which I completely understand. So then eventually Bugged Out... Well, previously, he wasn't able to really find anyone that was willing to boycott Sal's because I think Sal's the only pizza joint and their food is really good. And so they're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that because this is probably the only pizzeria that has like really good food, probably reasonably priced. Like, we're not going to do that. But he does end up finding an ally in another character in the film named Radio Rahim. Because Radio Rahim has actually had his own encounter with Sal. Because Radio Rahim, hence the name Radio, or part of his name Radio, he carries around a boombox blasting uh, Fight the Power by Public Enemy. And that's his thing, you know, that's his message that he wants to spew around the neighborhood, you know. And and so he, he gets... Radio Rahim to join him because, um, like I was saying, Radio Rahim, he has had his own encounter with Sal. He has gone into the restaurant in one scene, was blasting his music, and was like, I want two slices. And Sal's like, turn your music down. And then Radio Rahim is basically like ignoring him, like, I want two slices. Now, granted, I understand he's he has a message to send to everybody, um, but blasting your music into someone else's place is a little disrespectful, especially if they tell you to turn it down. Um, So they've had their own strain 
in whatever, you know, kind of business versus customer relationship with them. So, of course, Raheem joins along with Bug Down. So now we're going to, uh, I'm just going to jump towards the end, to the end of the movie because this is an important part. So Radio Rahim and Bugged Out decide to storm Sal's restaurant. Now keep in mind, Sal's restaurant is closed. He actually opens it back up because there's three teenagers, which Martin Lawrence is one of them. There's three or four teenagers. And once Sal's is closed, they like, go up to the door at one point in the night and they're like, come on, come on. We want some pizza. We want some pizza. And Sal, who is somewhat of a good guy, you know, says, okay, open it back up. We'll make them some slices because he knows people love his pizza so much. So he does open it back up, even though they've closed everything down. And this was probably a big mistake because this is where everything changes. So... He they're up there making the pizza for the the teenagers that came in. And this is where Bugged Out and Radio Rahim saw an opportunity, an open window for them to, you know, start their little protest with Sal. So they go in there and immediately Sal is upset. You know, he he begins to scream at them because, you know, he knows he's already had his encounter with Radio Rahim. He's already had an encounter with Bugged Out. He kicked out Bugged Out. And now they're storming in here after hours, you know, one blasting the music and the other one, you know, telling him that we need to have black people on the wall. And it becomes like a shouting match between them, between Sal and Bugged Out, because Sal's like, it's it's just a bunch of chaos going on because of the blasting music, the yelling. But through amongst everything that's going on, Sal begins to show his true colors when one, he calls Radio Rahim's music jungle music, and two, he calls them the N word. I mean, he bravely shouts out the N word, and mind you, Sal, Vito, and, and Pino are the only Italians in this restaurant. Everyone else, the teenagers, Mookie's there, Bugged Out, Radio Rahim, they are all black. And he shouts that out in anger. And someone who would shout out such a derogatory term is way too comfortable with the word. And he shouldn't be as comfortable with that word when that's all he serves. But, you know, just because you have black friends doesn't mean you can't be racist or you can't be prejudiced, you know? It's all possible. You can like certain people within that race, but as a whole, you could absolutely hate them and be disgusted by them. So he openly admits his prejudice when he screams that word out. Like anything he can call him, that's what he decides to call them. And after he proceeds to do that, he takes that bet that he wanted to use earlier on Bugged Out and he breaks Radio Rahim's radio. And when he breaks his radio, it's this quiet moment because everyone's in disbelief that he really did that. And then not too long after, Radio Rahim attacks Sal. They begin fighting. It The fight ends up spilling out outside of the restaurant. And then everyone in the restaurant pretty much is getting involved either, I guess, trying to like fight or they're trying to break up the fight. And it's just a bunch of chaos. So of course, there's 
Sal, Pino, Vito, Mookie, Radio Raheem, Bugged Out, and like the three or fourteen years. So there's about nine or ten people that are making all this ruckus. And so when they bleed, when it, this goes out into the street, of course the neighborhood, everyone that's out there starts to get involved as well. And then everything just gets super heated, super chaotic, and somehow the police show up. And at this point, when the police show up, uh, Radio Rahim is on top of style. He's like choking him because he broke his radio. His radio is his pride and joy. The radio was a part of him and he broke it. So when the police show up, they immediately grab Radio Rahim and there's like three guys. And I was really confused because one of the guys was outside of uniform. So I don't know if he was a cop and they just called him to come in to help you know, control the crowd or the chaos that was going on. But he looked like a normal citizen and he was up there gra- grabbing Radio Rahim. So it was two cops and one guy in like civilian clothing. And I was so confused by that. But anyways, the cops end up attempting to restrain Rahim and the restraint turns into this chokehold that kills him. And it's so eerie to today, that scene. And, you know, you think... You you think fiction could be stranger than reality. And in reality, life is much stranger than fiction. And fiction mimics reality. So after everyone realizes that the cops have killed Rahim, the cops like slowly, not slowly, they quickly try to load him up in the car. They're trying to like, almost like hide it because they realize that they killed this man. And so they run off with Raheem. I think they just throw him in the back of the cop car. I don't even think they had an ambulance there. They just throw him in the back of the cop car. The symbolism of that, and we're going to get into it. So once this happened, the neighborhood is very upset. And they're shook because they cannot believe they've seen someone die in front of their eyes. So immediately they turn their anger towards Sal's Pizzeria. Because Radio Raheem was in Sal's Pizza. You know, everything that transpired in there led to his death. So everyone starts putting their anger towards them. And they're like, you know, yelling and shouting at uh, Sal and his two sons. And then Mookie, a character that has been complacent, non- non-ambitious, just, uh, gets the trash can and throws it at one of the windows on Sal's Pizzeria. And then this breaks a window. And it incites a riot. This was like the okay for everyone to just tear it up. Just to tear up the restaurant. And uh, before I forget, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is all about emphasizing that black people are human. That black people are human just like everyone else. And deserve to be treated like everyone else. And normally, if someone dies or if something happens, you know, an ambulance comes to try to resuscitate them, to try to, you know, come to aid of the person that's hurt. And the fact that they didn't care enough to call an ambulance, the way they handled the situation, it was as if his life didn't matter. And that is the epitome of what that means when we say Black Lives Matter. And so just to kind to um, point out 
some certain things that I learned about this film and just to, you know, support the different themes that we're going to talk about today, which is, again, is racism and unjust. Okay, so Rahim's death was actually inspired by Michael Stewart. He was murdered in 1983 by policemen. So 11 policemen had jumped on Michael Stewart and they had strangled him into a coma. And 13 days later, he had succumbed to his injuries and passed away. Now, this case is eerily similar to George Floyd's. And I'm going to kind of point those out. So the original autopsy done by Dr. Elliot Gross, he actually came up with like two different results that really weren't consistent with each other. So like his first autopsy result was saying that uh, Mr. Stewart had an alcohol level of 0.22%. And because of his alcohol level, it showed that because of the excessive drinking, it led the cause for him to have a heart attack, which would have meant that the police officers, police officers had nothing to do with his death. And then there was another report or there was added information done to the report that said he had a spinal cord injury on his upper neck. And then on a third evaluation, they concluded he had blunt force trauma, um, which the nurses were called when he was brought in. His hands were blue and he was badly beaten. So we have three different things. They say, oh, well, he had a heart attack because he was drinking too much. Oh, well, he actually did have a spinal cord injury on his upper neck. And yeah, there was some blunt force trauma. So we have these three different factors in there. And yet they were trying to come to the conclusion that the police were not even at fault. So finally, Michael Stewart's family did an independent report done by a different doctor that they hired. And I believe that they hired. And the autopsy had concluded that the cause of his death was actually strangulation. So the strangulation caused him to go into a coma, which then killed him. Because if he wasn't strangled, then he wouldn't be dead. Well, he wouldn't have went in a coma. He wouldn't have died. So who strangled him? The cops. Now, mind you, this was before a time that people would sit and record stuff. So, of course, we didn't have it on camera. George Floyd's death we have on camera. And it's always the one who's alive's story versus the person who's dead. The only story that the person who died can tell is from their injuries if if the autopsy is done correctly and unbiasedly and honestly and so they found out that he was definitely strangled and mind you the cops are you know they're gonna say we didn't we weren't that forceful with him we didn't do this that and the third but you have nurses saying that he came in badly beaten but yet his death wasn't due to their excessive force and so that is what inspired Rahim's death and then we also had Eric Gardner so not only so before George Floyd we had Eric Gardner and these were three deaths deaths that happened I mean years apart from each other but very similar uh just the whole situation because I remember with George Floyd they tried to say he had heart issues um he was on drugs he had corona COVID-19 you know they're trying to put in all these other factors as to why he died versus what everyone saw on camera was the man was kneeling in his kneeling in his neck and he could not breathe and he stated he couldn't breathe. Okay, so something else in this film 
um, just other deaths that have been mentioned as well. There was a some graffiti graffiti on a wall behind Mookie in one of the scenes where he's talking to Jade, and it reads Tawana told the truth. I was curious. I said, "Well, Tawana told the truth. What's that about?" So I looked it up. Tawana Brawley, the the Tawana Brawley case, um, had alleged that she was raped and abducted by four white men in 1987. And one of the white men, she actually said, was a prosecutor. And she ended up being heavily scrutinized during that case. Uh, people didn't think the, the story that she told added up. Of course, that prosecutor that she accused completely denied it. And I believe she lost her case, or the, none of those people, um, she said, were convicted. And then she had ended up being sued. Her and Reverend Al Sharpton were sued. And uh, they were sued by that prosecutor for, I guess, defamation and lying on him. Or allegedly lying on him. And he actually won that case. And then they both had to end up um, owing him, like, millions of dollars. Which is absolutely insane. Um, But Spike Lee, he felt strongly that she was telling the truth and that she wasn't lying. Um, you know, I don't put anything past anyone, but I mean, that's kind of a, in times like this, accusing white people of stuff, yeah, I mean, you don't really, I mean, now we can take video of stuff and, you know, show proof, but people just, you know, coming off the cuff and just saying, oh, well, white people did this, white people did that. It's kind of far-fetched, so, you know, who knows? Um, another, uh, death, um, that was mentioned and this was during the part, the scene when the whole neighborhood realizes that uh, Raheem was dead and uh, people in the neighborhood start yelling out. And one of them, they yell was Michael Stewart because that was the inspiration for his death. And then they yell out Eleanor Bumpers, who um, she was shot um, while being forced out of her home due to an eviction in 1984. And then, mind you, the Tawana, Eleanor, and Michael Stewart, this all happened in New York. So these were all New York brutality cases. And with the Eleanor thing, I guess it was a situation of um, she had a mental illness. And so the the shots that killed her were seen as the excessive force. The uh, cops alleged that she did have a knife and she was like, I guess, you know trying to attempt to stab them and so their self-defense was to shoot her two times but it's considered a police brutality case because of the situation and so um that was another death that you know Spike Lee had mentioned as well and so um speaking about all those deaths is bringing us to one of the themes which is unjust there's too many times uh, too many situations where black lives are taken under police brutality. And we do understand that there are certain circumstances where if a cop literally feels threatened, they are going to use the excessive force. That's why they have a gun. That's why they have tasers. That's why they have batons. But there have been filmed cases where the force was completely unnecessary And then it creates this blurred line that police are allowed to murder anyone 
and used that code word, I feared for my life. And then there is no accountability from their end. And because of their position in society, they are seen as though they they don't have to be accountable for killing anyone. And if they do it unjustly, then they're not going to do time for it. And it just becomes a problem because we've, we're trying to figure out where do we draw the line? Where do we say, okay, that is unacceptable? Where do we say, or use someone as the example to say, you can't go around just killing people just because. And that's where we get into the unjust part. And then with unjust, there is no peace, no justice, no peace. And so another thing that this movie represents is the property versus human life debate, which we literally just were going through. On social media, people were having the biggest debates when... The protests originally began, there was looting, and it was more of a riot um, that was going on during the very beginning parts of um, an attempted protest. And that the rioting and the looting became a distraction. And people would say, well, I get what happened it wasn't right what the cop did, but you shouldn't destroy property. You know, people work so hard for their businesses. You shouldn't destroy their businesses. That isn't the right way to do it. Poor target, you know, poor this, poor that. And it just showed that people put value to a building than they did a black life. So instead of saying, wow, I wish people didn't tear buildings up. But you know what? That was really messed up that that, that man lost his life on that day due to reckless abuse of power. And I, when I first watched this movie, I remember I was so upset and I said, they did not have to destroy that man's property. Like, you know, he was a nice guy and... You know, he helped out the mayor. He was sweet to Mookie's sister. He, you know, let the teenagers in, uh, made him something to eat after he closed up. But does any of that matter when you're quick within your anger to call someone the N-word? Is it okay that you can insult your black patrons that spend money in your restaurant because they suggest something? Because initially I thought Bugged Out was really rude about how he suggested stuff, but he really wasn't. And I was like, huh, he didn't insult him. He didn't insult his heritage. He didn't insult his culture. He just said, hey, some, could you put some black representation on the wall? And Sal was very quick to, to reject it and then also to be insulting in the process. And you, we cannot value, because property, material things can be replaced. When a life is gone, it's gone. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't bring it back. Can you rebuild a building? Yes. Can you get more merchandise in stock? Yes. Will you get customers? Yes. Can we bring a life back? No. And so this movie, well, this scene is so important. And with everything going on, this is a great movie for people to watch to really gain some perspective of what this looks like and to get a better understanding. And like I was saying, I was worried about 
them destroying his building. And I didn't even think about Radio Rahim. Because at first I was like, well, they shouldn't have came into his restaurant and that wouldn't have happened. But at the end of the day, did he deserve to die because of it? No, he did not. No one deserves to die because of that. And it was just terrible the way it happened. And it just, it shouldn't have happened. But at the end of the day, we have to value a human life over property. And another scene in this movie, there's a speech that is done by Radio Rahim. And it's about love and it's about hate, which is another issue that we deal with. Uh, Do we allow the hate to take over or do we kill people with love? And so Spike Lee was inspired from the scene in the movie, The Night of the Hunter. And Robert Mitchum's preacher, he has tattoos on his knuckles. And on one hand it says love and the other hand it says hate. But instead of tattoos, to modernize it, Spike Lee does the brass knuckles because that's what was popular in the 80s was having the brass knuckles. And so he does this whole speech about um, love and hate. And it's a really good speech. I suggest you look it up. Um, You can just look up love and hate speech, do the right thing. Um, and, and coming from that character who ends up dying and and it's, and you know, we all have that choice at the end of the day. We can choose to love people. We can choose to hate people. You can choose to love everybody. You can choose to hate everybody. You can choose to love someone, love some people. You can choose to hate some people. And in that moment, especially when Mookie had threw the trash can to the window, he yelled out hate. And at some point you can be put, if you're standing up. And someone's in front of you and they keep pushing you down and you keep getting up and then they push you down again and you get up and they push you down again and you get up. Eventually you're going to fight back because you'll only allow people to do so much. And with everything going on, it was just a buildup. And sometimes, not saying using hate is good because it's not, but sometimes you have to stand your ground to affirm or to stand up for your position to say, I'm not going to be pushed down anymore. We need change. And sometimes the the reaction and the stance and the protest is going to be extreme, but it's going to leave a message and it's going to leave an impression. Now, why would there be a reason for unjust? Well, there's not justice because sometimes there's not an evil playing field. And sometimes the uneven playing field is simply based on racism. And I talked about in the previous episode, the history of dehumanizing black people is real. And so, especially when it comes to the judicial judicial system, it can be very harsh on the black person. And I'm recently learning a correlation between the harsh punishment on black people and the fact that you can legally have slavery and prison systems you know, they (laughs) go hand in hand, but that's a whole nother topic. So this neighborhood is super diverse, but it's divided by racial tensions. And the division is filled by hatred and from ignorance. Everyone's kind of ignorant, ignorant about each other. And through ignorance and lack of empathy and education about those that you're surrounded by, it's going to cause friction and it's going to cause rifts and it's going to cause really bad things to happen. So one of the parts in the film, one of the scenes, one of the scenes actually has um, different 
races in the film. So you have like a Puerto Rican guy, the Italians, a black guy, the Asian people. And they're all spewing off the most racist, stereotypical rhetoric about one another. And so a great example of ignorance, I'm going to go ahead and play a clip from the movie. And I'm going to put it in right here. Can I talk to you for a second? What? Pino, who's your favorite basketball player? Magic Johnson. Who's your favorite movie star? Eddie Murphy. Who's your favorite rock star? Prince. You're a Prince. Boss, Bruce. Prince. Bruce. Pino, all you ever talk about is nigga this and nigga that. And all your favorite people are so-called niggas. It's different. Magic, Eddie, Prince are not niggas. I mean, they're not black. I mean, let me explain myself. They're, they're not really black. I'm, I mean, they're black, but they're not really black. They're, they're more than black. It's, it's, it's different. It's different? Yeah, to me, it's, it's different. You know, deep down inside, I think you wish you were black. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Laugh if you want to. You know, your hair is kinkier than mine. What does that mean? And you know what they say about dark Italians? You know, I've been listening and reading. You've been reading now? I read. I've been reading about your leaders, Reverend Al, Mr. Dude, Sharp Tone, Jesse. Keep hope alive. That's fucked up. Keep hope alive. Hey, that's fucked. Don't talk about Jesse. And uh, even uh, the other guy, what's his name? Uh, Farrakhan. Farrakhan. Uh, Minister Farrakhan. All right, sorry. Minister Farrakhan. Anyway, Minister Farrakhan always talks about the so-called day when, when the black man will rise. We will one day, what does he say? We will one day rule the earth as we did in, in our glorious past. Yeah, that's right. What past are you talking about? I mean, what, what did I miss? We started civilization. Man, keep dreaming, man. Then you woke up. Okay, so in that clip, we definitely hear the ignorance from Vito. He's basic. Mookie basically sets him aside. Yeah, sets him aside, and he's like, "Okay, basically, who's your favorite entertainers and sports people?" And they're all black. And Mookie is trying to make the point that, okay, well, you love black people that entertain you, but these are the, not saying like these celebrities are your customers, but the same race comes in here and supports your father's business and yet you can't stand them and you fear them. Why? Like, does that not make sense to you? And then Vito's saying, well, they're not black black like they're not you know like the black you know like they're like they're some like they're these other entities they're they're not like our customers that come in and then he also mentions that he doesn't understand um the quote from minister farrakhan about you know the the time before whatever the quote he said so he's ignorant that Black people were once free. Black people once had their own society and and weren't always slaves. And that is where the ignorance comes in. When you don't understand the culture, you don't understand your history, then you say ignorant stuff and you spew hate because you don't know. But that is your duty to educate yourself. Um. So it's like he said he was... He he was, you know, looking into all these different black leaders, but he still didn't get nothing from it. 
And so you can either be ignorant and choose to educate yourself or it's a choice to be ignorant. And when you choose to be ignorant, that's very dangerous in more ways than one. And I mean, that's the ultimate lesson of it. You know, racism is not going to go away until we can realize that there is racism. Then educate yourself about it in the history. And with education, you can become empathetic. Just like when we learned about the Holocaust. You know, we would never want someone like Hitler to, another Hitler to run this country and and just, and um, extirp exterminate one race so if we learn about that we got to learn about everything else because there was a, a black version of the there was a black holocaust for over 200 years I mean over 400 years and people have to learn about that so that we can grow and we can try to make it better the world better for everybody so we don't have to deal with police brutality. We don't have to do with, you know, unequal housing opportunities, loan opportunities, uh, uh, education discrimination, workplace discrimination. We won't have to worry about all that. But, of course, there's so much work to be done with that. Um, something interesting that I thought about this movie was that they actually named a street in New York City do the right thing way and this street is on the same block that they filmed this movie and this is the this is the only street in New York City to be named after a movie which is super cool and this movie in 2007 um, the Film Institute ranked this as the number 96 greatest movie of all time and it was the first inclusion of this film on that list. So, yeah. So, yeah, this movie, I feel like, is a good representation to show the ignorance of racism. And also to show the aftermath of what happens in unjust situ or situation situations that looked to be hopeless and to have no justice. And it just mirrors re reality of what's going on right now, to be honest. It really does. So if you have a chance to check out this movie, I mean, I just went over, you know, two different themes in it and then talked about some other things in this movie, but watching it as a whole is very important. And I really suggest you do that. And you know what? This is actually going to wrap up this episode. But right before I do that, um, it is my mother's birthday or her birthday passed. And I want to wish her a very, very happy birthday. And I love you, Mama. And you know what? The credits are rolling. The show is over. And I'm going to see you at the next show time. Bye.